0: Hey, you, want access to exclusive Secret Ops Intel? Check out the link in the description. Welcome to Secret Ops, the podcast uncovering the world of business operations, one episode at a time. I'm your host, Ariana Phone, and today's guest is Chelsea Fire, Head of Operations at a New York-based startup. Chelsea, I am so excited to talk to you today because you are like part of my my being as a human and especially within the operations world. Thank you for being here.
1: Ariana, yeah, I'm so excited to be here um, talking with you.
0: <laughs> so some context before we jump into questions, which is Chelsea and I have worked together where we essentially shared the same brain for a year and a half. And it was a very special time. She's like one of my operations soulmates.
1: Wow. I can't believe it's it was like a year and a half. It felt like it was like five years, but it was me. Yeah, felt...
0: <laughs> yeah, I did feel like we were working together <laughs> for a decade. So I want to share your background with the listeners. So can you talk to me about where you've been within your career, how you sort of fell into operations? What was that journey?
1: Yeah. So I kind of stumbled into it. I went to school and I became a globalization major, which like, I don't know what that is really. What does that mean? Political science, uh, economic, like all of that stuff mixed together. Cause I was like, oh, I like cultures and uh, like environmental stuff and oh, this does everything. So I'll do that. But then once I got out of school, I was like, oh, how do I get a job with this degree? There aren't very many like globalization jobs. <laughs> uh, so I got into like farmer's markets and working and volunteering with them. And then that slowly like snowballed into like more like food centric jobs. And um, and I applied to NYU for the food studies program, a master's degree. And moved to New York. When it comes to food studies, what are some things that you're learning? Yeah, it was like all different classes. You could take like a farming class. You could take political science or like not political science, like like the politics of food. But yeah, it was like a whole mix of all sorts of things. But quickly into that, I realized... I like couldn't just like study all the time, and I was like ooh i don't I don't want to be back in school. This is hard. So I went part time and applied for pip snacks where you hired me <laughs>
0: <laughs> so those listening might know pip snacks as pip corn, but it's the mini popcorn. That the founders Jen and Jeff aired on Shark Tank, and that's I think where a lot of people learned about Pipcorn and Pip Snacks. But that's where where you and I met.
1: Yeah, it was very very exciting. I remember going to that interview and I was like, well, oh, there's no windows. Oh wow, <laughs> okay, popcorn!" <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think my first day, you taught me how to like uh, put tape on a box. I was like, "Cool." <laughs>
0: Which is a vital skill. Okay, now
1: you do it. I was like, oh wow, this is much harder than it looked. (laughs) (laughs) Being like the like the wrist snap to like the wrist snap. Yeah. Those little
0: tricks (laughs) after you box, you know, hundreds and hundreds of boxes, you start to learn. (laughs) So so you were at Pip Snacks, but you ended up being with them for six, seven, six, seven years. Six years, yeah. Which is crazy. <sighs> Time flies. Now you've can stayed in operations and now you've you've shifted to a different type of flavor of doing the same thing, but not in the food industry, in more of the consumer product goods.
1: Yeah, And even like smaller startup than Pip Snacks was. So that's like a whole nother journey, but it's it's all fun. I'm learning. <laughs> what do you think draws you to operations? Yeah, that's a good question. One of the things that I like the most is all of the problem solving, there's like tons of issues always. And you're always just trying to like figure it out and like get things done. And also the fact that it's always changing, like your job is never same the same, like week to week or month to month. I feel like I've been doing operations for eight or nine years, but it's like I have a different job like every few months. It's in constant flux and you can kind of control it by I'm always like heavily involved in R&D and developing new products or items so I definitely like give myself more work sometimes by doing that especially uh, like at, at Pipcorn and like developing crackers I was like we have a byproduct we should make crackers and everyone's like yeah we've always wanted to make crackers I'm like why did I do this to myself Now. I was like <laughs> <laughs> ingredients per cracker. I'm
0: like, what? That, that is one thing that I remember vividly sitting in a room and you were like an alchemist almost. You had all these different flavors and you were mixing popcorn <laughs> and you were trying different flavors out. I think it's quite creative, the R&D process, right? You're not only developing new flavors or new types of products, but then there's the, the whole other part of R&D, which is how do we actually make this product at scale? <laughs> And can we make this product at scale?
1: And sourcing ingredients and having it be affordable and also clean. Like we don't want like certain like colors or like unnatural things. I remember working on like vegan cheddar for like forever. (laughs) I was like, I can't eat this anymore. (laughs)
0: There was one time we were we were trying to get one of the new recipes right, like a new type of sugar. And I remember we used to pop a lot of popcorn, and we would oh. sometimes put them in these garbage bags. And you and I ate so much kettle,
1: I just watched the sugar crash. I remember that having the huge trash bag like in my lap while I was like working and just eating <laughs> it. I probably had five bags of kettle popcorn <laughs> today, and then I think I. Take like a two year break. <laughs>
0: I like couldn't eat it for a while. When you make something good, it's hard to stop eating it. It's my favorite. Uh, it's probably a good detour for us to talk about, you know, our history at pipcorn and and learning how to make a food product and taking that from like a smaller kind of food startup into this like larger brand that it sort of happened overnight. So I think I was at Pip snacks maybe a little shy of a year before. I hired you because you were fabulous and amazing. And when you joined, we were in the process of trying to figure out how to scale our operations because we just aired on Shark Tank and and all of a sudden everybody wanted Pipcorn. And we had a supply and demand issue. It was like, how do we get this into like people's hands faster? So I would love to hear sort of when you joined, what was that like for you? Like trying to solve all of those puzzles of scaling, working with the team, you know, eventually working with distributors and all these different pieces. Like, what was that like?
1: Yeah, it was, um, I feel like it was like insane. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I didn't know what I was getting myself into exactly. I was like, how do we make so much popcorn with just like four kettles? And I remember... Like the first idea was like having multiple shifts and like, okay, I'll pop during everybody's lunch break and we'll make more. Like this makes perfect sense. Like we can have like three more pallets. Yeah, we hired more people. And then I remember we would run out of space in the hallway and there would be like 50 pallets of popcorn in the hallway and like trying to get trucks in. And it was just like chaos it's probably good to
0: contextualize so like the space that we had to work in wor- work in was not glamorous in any way shape and form it was not a glamorous place yeah yes yeah. so the building that we worked in there were no windows there was part of the space that was for pallets and boxing and shipping and then there was part of the space that was a kitchen aspect but it was meant for startups which we were but then all of a sudden we saw it go from a
1: small company into like a, lo- a large, medium-sized company? Well, it went from like one month, we were in like 10 Whole Foods that were in the city and we had like a local guy that would pick it up. Um, Alberto, right? Alberto, yes. <laughs> and then within like a few months, Whole Foods National. So like scaling yep. that was was crazy. That's when we were working on weekends and nights and had to find the first warehouse, which we all didn't know really how to do. Oh
0: yeah. Finding a warehouse of where you want to store these things. Also, listener, remember, we're dealing with food. So there's an expiration date timeline that you have. So it's not just like, how do you make this product? But it's like, how do you make this product? Turn it in time so that, you know, we aren't wasting product. And how do we do that with a warehouse and co-packer and distributors to distribute all these goods? That was a very intense year of learning how to do that.
1: Yes. Yeah. And having like very accurate packing slips and like the BOLs and like triple counting everything. Yeah. There's a lot of recounting of pallets. Constant. Skews. (laughs) Constant.
0: There was one time they were showing Pipcorn on Good Morning America and, and we had to guarantee a certain amount of shipments to be sent out. And I remember that we got it down to the box. We had prepared, like it, by some miracle, this was not like amazing planning. This was a miracle that we had somehow popped and prepared to the box enough packages to ship out in time. And it was like probably the peak operations experience for me.
1: <laughs> I think when you developed the honeycombing process, <laughs> it was quite amazing.
0: That, cha- that did <laughs> change the game. game, turning the box from upright to sideways and packing it that way. Mm-hmm. That, cha- that changed it.
1: All those boxes filling one by one. Yep.
0: So after that time working together, I, I ended up leaving Pipcorn. You, you took over in the role that I had. What was that like afterwards, seeing this like crazy boom, this crazy level of scaling to getting to a point of stabilizing, but continuing growth? How was that?
1: Yeah. It, well, when you left, it was heartbreaking. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Staring at you with sad eyes for like two weeks before you we left. Um,
0: <laughs> I did feel like I was I was losing a part of myself because you you do spend so much time with the people that you work with. We spent so much time together, and we did so much together. It was a hard. It was a hard goodbye for sure.
1: Yeah, and you were you were like my guide through everything. Like taught me how to do everything. And then all of a sudden, I had to like figure it out on my own. And I honestly like didn't think I was ready. I was like, Oh, how am I going to do this? But I'm going to just pretend. And you were ready. Works out.
0: <laughs> you were ready. You were more than ready to take over and to to take it to the next level. Because you also had the passion to to work within that industry and the love of food, which just truth be told, I love some food, but I'm, I wasn't at that level of where, where you had that.
1: Yeah, I don't know why, but yes, I was very obsessed. I was like, all of these snacks must be perfect. They must get to the <laughs> Um But yeah, there was definitely a lot of, it was a, a learning curve. And I remember like, there was like three weeks of just being like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. And then all of a sudden like clicked and I was like, okay, I got this. I can actually survive without Ariana. Um.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think that in any role shift in operations, you don't know what you're doing. Like for the first month, three months, sometimes six months, you're kind of making it up as you go. And that's like the secret that no one tells you.
1: Yeah, you have to build your own tools. When we were like a small scrappy team, we didn't have like tons of money um, or investment. So it was just like... Yeah, a lot of like Google Excel sheets. that. So many Excel sheets. <laughs> yeah, too many. Um, <laughs> and just like, yeah, managing inventory, purchasing all of the raw materials, and also managing a team of people that were popping the popcorn in in Harlem and then figuring out where to go next and finding like the first co-packer um, on how to make the popcorn because it's not like your normal popcorn. It's... Yep very it's mini popcorn it's special you have to pop it in a certain way (laughs) the team that did the popping
0: were they were absolutely amazing and the the gears behind a lot of what the business was doing at the time but you were but you were saying that taking it from that small team managing that team in addition to them figuring out how to get a co-packer to recreate the style that's that's hard So fast forward through the years of learning all those different levels. And now you're working for a small startup again. When we talk about operations and what your days look like today, what is a day in the life of Chelsea Fire look like?
1: Yeah, I think I feel like I'm always planning and working on timing of things. Mm -hmm. Because in my, I guess, operational role, I'm i need to get product made and get it from one place to the other place and make sure inventory is very healthy and that i can foresee when there's going to be uh, larger orders coming in so it's always like a i'm playing a game of timing and with covid disrupting like the oh yeah global supply chain i'm like i order glass so i'm like What's the glass lead time this week? Because it's like constantly changing. Like, okay, I need to order that now and then make sure everything else comes in and find different co-packers and manufacturers, like have a lot of backups because it's a little chaotic with, with COVID and ordering raw materials that some come from overseas and then some just like an inconsistent supply?
0: So I think one thing, if if someone hasn't actually made physical products, what is very hard to understand between physical and digital products, a physical product typically has multiple factors that are going into making that physical product. And sometimes you're working with multiple vendors, most of the time, actually, to get a single product out the door. So what's happened in the last two years i mean part of me was quite grateful that i was more in the digital space because of all the things that you've had to see it's like back in the day when we were when i was doing you know physical products it's like all right you had your your consistent manufacturers your consistent distributors all right you found your your freight shippers you found your uh, co-packers but now it's like for every plan that you have you have to have almost two backup plans
1: yes yeah always looking for like different suppliers constantly
0: from a supply chain standpoint, what kind of processes are you putting in place to make sure you've got all of those ducks in a row?
1: Yeah, there's a lot. I guess I look at inventory like every few days <laughs> and I have just like markers of all the different skews of when it gets to like a certain amount and like when to reorder. Cause you have to also like think about the demand because some something much faster than others. So I can see like when one thing is low, I'm like, oh, I need to work on this ASAP. And then another thing's low. I'm like, oh, that's probably good for like many more months. Mm -hmm. Every SKU
0: has a different way of operating around that particular product.
1: Yeah. And I work with, I don't know, like 70 SKUs. So, Wow. Well, yeah, there's a lot of <laughs> spreadsheets, and <laughs> timing, um, and then constantly adding new products as well. So there's like, it's like two, I guess, two brains where one is trying to keep everything in stock. And then the other is working on new items all the time and doing a lot of R&D and figuring out which items to discontinue. Um, so that I can work on new products. Well, this hops into technology a bit,
0: which is back in the day, like we were getting orders sometimes through faxes, which I'm like, ah, like I couldn't believe that we were getting <laughs> fax orders back in the day. Are there, are there, platforms now that have helped in inventory planning? Or is it still like a very custom process that you've got to make?
1: Yeah, there's uh, ERP systems, which Mm -hmm. are like NetSuite is probably the most famous one, but it's like crazy, crazy expensive. Like most small companies can't really afford it. Those are extremely helpful. And then there's other like ERPs that are cheaper that you can use like Fiddle is one. I mean, there's tons of them.
0: For those listening, if you don't know what an ERP is, it stands for enterprise resource planning. So this is essentially a platform that allows you to put in the different factors that you need to manage and then have a centralized way of being able to see all that information.
1: Those are extremely helpful for operations people. You just have to like constantly make sure that they're updated, but you can do all of your inventory management in there and you can like create an item and in that item, that's almost like a recipe. So if you like invoice or you put in, like, I have this order, it'll tell you how many pieces of the raw material you need. And then it'll take it out of inventory once you like move it. So it's quite amazing when one person has to like look at hundreds of products all the time. Oh Um, my
0: God. That's, that is game changing straight up. You would love it. Oh my God. (laughs) I'm like geeking out. I don't even, I don't have a need for it, but I want to have it. Hello, fellow thinkers. Now, if you have been a loyal listener of Secret Ops, then you already know about our sponsors, Baron Fig, the company that makes tools for thinkers. Now, I'm totally biased, but I really think that Baron Fig has the best product suite for thinkers and operators alike. And you know what? I'm not the only one that thinks so. Bloomberg said, and I quote, that Baron Fig's products are, quote, high-end and well-crafted, which they absolutely are, Their Confidant notebook is the most delicious notebook that you will use with the most perfect dot grid paper. But it's not just Bloomberg. Actually, fun fact, New York Magazine, they tested 100 pens to find the top pen. And after testing all of those pens, they rated Baron Fig's Squire pen the number one pen. The number one pen. It's not just me, y'all. You gotta give them a try. And guess what? We got you hooked up with the discount code. If you go to BaronFig.com today enter in the discount code secret 20 and get 20% off your next order of $50 or more. Again, that's secret 20 and get 20% off your next order of $50 or more. Oh, I'm like, so jealous that you're going to get to see all this for the first time. Cause are their products are so delicious. Anyway, uh, enjoy, have fun. Let us know how you use the tools and let's get back to the show. So we, we've talked about a bit of the process overseeing all these different things. The, the third piece is the people piece, which is, the t- I think, one of the hardest pieces, right? Because yes. people means a lot of different things. Stakeholders, team that you're managing, you know, the relationships with your suppliers, et cetera. What are some things that you've learned over the years that have helped you manage the people side of operations?
1: Yeah. So that was definitely something that took me a while to learn and realize that operations is very key and needs to always be talking to sales and marketing, connecting the pieces because people don't really realize what operations is. And you sort of just have to be like, okay, I can't just like create this product for you tomorrow. And if you ask for a sample to be shipped out at 6 p.m. It's not going out. It took a while to learn that, and the communication was key, and being very articulate of when things are available and like how long things will take, because sales is always going to say yes to everything and be like, yeah, we can get that to you in a week, and I have to be like, no, 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 that's going to take like five weeks, or if we want to like you know, it'll cost more if you want, we can make it three weeks. Like there's a lot of uh, explaining that. And like, you have to do it like very simply, (laughs) make it very black and white for the people that you're communicating with. Uh, So a lot of our job
0: is, is literally taking the complex systems that we have to manage and distilling it into something that not only our internal team can understand, but also external clients can understand. Because ultimately it's like a game of telephone, right? You tell the internal team, the internal team talks to the clients or the customers. So if you are getting it wrong on your side, or if you're not explaining things well on your side, it causes like a ripple effect of chaos. That's what I've learned. Yes, that is very true. (laughs) (laughs) So, So this hops into, you know, what do you think, people get wrong about operations. It's clear that unless you're in operations, it's hard to really comprehend all of the moving pieces. But what do you think people looking from the outside in get wrong about what we do?
1: Uh, I guess they don't realize how many different moving parts there are and how like one thing can affect the other thing, which will ruin everything else. So that there's a lot of things in operations that are kind of out of your control. Like you, you know, like, a truck crashes and then you have to like deal with that or there's like quality issues and you have to like start over. I'm like shaking my head so intensely
0: (laughs) right now because I remember I I really felt that when I learned about the the world of trucking, (laughs) freight trucking. (laughs)
1: Yes. <laughs> and
0: that was like a whole different can of worms. A lot of the times at the time I was calling to get an update of where a truck was, or I'd call somebody who then would call the dispatcher to understand where these things were. Mm-hmm. And then oftentimes, sometimes the response is, you know, we're not sure we've got an estimate of this time, or there's storms that are happening in the Midwest. If there's like, there, it's going to take longer. And that's where people get really mad at you. But Literally, there's nothing more that you can do. Like, even if you were driving the truck yourself, like there's nothing more that you can do. So that it, that I will say, like, be nice to your customer service people. Be nice to the people who are trying to figure it out. Most of the time, they're really just trying to to get things under
1: control that are out of their control. So be nice to them, please. Yeah, one of the biggest things I learned about that was like the different vendors that we chose to work with for a while. I was like, okay, well this is like the trucking company we're going to work with and then you talk to some other ones and you're like oh wait these people are so much easier to work with and it's cheaper and they're on time finding the right relationships for the company makes such a big difference like i guess, i remember we had like a very bad warehouse for a while they were like always mean to me i'm like what am i doing wrong and then we moved warehouses and i was like oh, I wasn't doing anything wrong. They were just mean. And these people (laughs) are so much nicer and like do the things correctly and are just better at communicating. I'm like, wow, why did I torture myself for like a year or two with like a very mean, difficult warehouse? I've used that in my new role of like, Mm. oh, these people aren't very nice. I'm going to find better ones. (laughs) Like, Or it's not just like niceness. It's just like doing it and make not making it difficult. Like... Something that you know doesn't need to be that hard and making it a little easier. I think we've talked a lot about how difficult operations can
0: be, but what makes you happy at the end of the day? Like if you wake up in the morning, what gets you jazzed about doing this kind of work? What What's your happy place with operations?
1: I love the art, I guess, of the R&D process and launching new items and putting that together. And I guess the operations of it. Seeing it come to life, like just like a vague idea, and then creating it from your home. Like I work from home, so I'm not like in a factory making things. Not as much I as I was with Pip snacks where like you could see it getting made. Now I just like order some things and have a lot of calls, and then all of a sudden it's created, which is extremely exciting.
0: It's a weird feeling to sometimes put months or even more than a year into making something and then like seeing it is totally exciting. Like, I don't know if there is anything <laughs> more exciting or seeing yeah. something on a, on a shelf is really profound in some ways, like walking into a store and seeing it like, or people buying it.
1: Yeah. One of my favorite moments, I remember the first like time Snacks branched out of popcorn and mm we were trying to make cheese balls from the actual kernel. So we had to like go through like a grinding process. It was very complicated. And getting the email of pictures of cheese balls, just like naked (laughs) cheese balls. I was like, oh my God. (laughs) This is so amazing. And and I was like freaking out at my desk. And I was like, everyone was like, Chelsea, are you okay? I was like, hold on, I'm going to email you and just wait for it and open it. And just seeing everyone's face of just looking at these, a picture of some cheese balls.
0: (laughs) 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 I will tell you, I recently bought those cheese balls and they were addicting. The last piece before we wrap up is, if someone is hearing us and they're not completely scared off by managing inventory and putting all these things together and the R&D process, how would, what would you recommend they do to get into operations?
1: Working for a startup is is a great way to do it. Even if you don't come in as like an operations person, if you start doing the operational things, you can easily just move your way into that. Or just like finding something you're really passionate about, getting a job in that industry, and I feel like you can easily fall into operations by saying yes to a bunch of things. I mean, like, oh, well, I'll work on that. And you can just like sort of create your job in operations. Like I know that a lot of operation jobs, there's customer service involved, which I'm sure you remember. I hated that. And I was like, okay, (laughs) um, somebody else (laughs) needs to do this. I know that operation people are supposed to do this, but I I can't respond to another angry person. (laughs) (laughs) It is,
0: it, it is. That is a uh, ne- necessary evil is customer yes. service. Because sometimes you have the most amazing customers that really make your day. Like I definitely have like gotten emotional with some kind emails. Yes. But there's a lot of mean ones too.
1: Um, um, like so seriously, I would have to like write my response and then rewrite it because it was like, well, oh, that's too mean. I need to. Okay. Deep breaths here. you know what though
0: getting into operations is about trying all those things and then you can kind of see where your niche is and whatever niche you like there is a role for that in operations you just have to find it
1: yep yeah exactly
0: all right we're gonna do some rapid fire questions just about you as a human chelsea so let's jump in okay you wake up in the morning what do you have to start your day
1: with Uh, first coffee is a must. And then I always like to wash my face, (laughs) put on some serums, you know, for anti-aging, which I'm not sure they're doing anything, but it feels nice and they normally smell good. And then the first thing I have to do before I open my computer and look at my emails, I have to put together like a list of my to-dos for that day or the things that I want to accomplish Just like things that are like floating in my head, like write them all down. And then I can start my day.
0: What are some things that you got to do at the end of the day to wind down?
1: I love to cook. Cooking is very calming for me. Chopping vegetables up. (laughs) A walk is always great or some exercise to like, you know, move myself out of my apartment, which I feel like I'm in too much. Like my desk is in my bedroom so I need to get out of <laughs> the apartment. Yeah, those are the main things.
0: Now, when it comes to reading, are there any books that you're currently reading or
1: would recommend? Yes. I don't know if this is common for operations people, but I normally read like three books at once. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like <laughs> how I'm feeling that day, but I'm reading like a thousand page Book on Winston Churchill because I watched that movie, The Darkest Hour, and I was like, "Oh my God, this guy's amazing! I must learn more." And then I'm also reading. This is a weird one, The Red Tent, which is like a story about a group of women and their life, and it's sort of biblical. It's like a person Mm. from the Bible. I'm not religious. I don't know how I ended up with this book, but it's very, (laughs) it's very good. and just like women supporting each other so far. I'm not that far into it. And then also a Leonardo da Vinci book. Oh my God. God. Yeah. I would like to, you know, be more like him. Although I don't know if I do, but yeah, that's... <laughs> You're learning by reading this book. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm trying to learn and then also have yeah. like a guilty pleasure book.
0: What is your favorite quote or a quote that stuck with you?
1: I feel like Oprah has like the best quotes. Um, (laughs) I feel like she said something like, if you do the best in the moment, that makes the next moment even better. Something like that. That's Mm -hmm. not a direct Oprah quote, but (laughs) (laughs) maybe some days like you're like, oh, I don't feel like doing this, but by doing it, you're making those future days, better. Mm. I try to tell myself that sometimes when there's like annoying things or, you know, with operations, there's always problems. Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Last one for you. What do you want to be when you grow up?
1: Oh, um, I would love to be a famous artist.
0: (laughs) Mm. What kind of artist? I
1: would like to like build stuff. I did like a metal works art class in college and I loved it. Like I built like a life-size dog out of metal and it was, yeah, it was, you get to use like plasma guns that like melts the metal and then you like heat it and you bang it into stuff. It was, it's very fun. That sounds very satisfying. Yeah. Like have a huge one, like a huge barn or you can just like do art. That sounds amazing.
0: Before we wrap up,
1: where can people find you? I think LinkedIn's the best Uh, Chelsea Fire message me.
0: (laughs) Chelsea, thank you so much, not only for talking to me today, but also just for being a part of my operations life. I'm so grateful to you and having you as a part of it. has been very special to me. Thank you so, so much for listening and supporting Secret Ops. Please follow us wherever you find your podcasts and check us out at secret-ops.com. We'll see you next time. Hey, listener. Do you want to be a top operator in business and in life? Well, we at Secret Ops are here to help you do just that check out our monthly secret ops newsletter with exclusive intel just for you. From bonus content to secret resources, we've given you the VIP access. To sign up, check out the link in the description. And as always, thanks for listening.